on episode 25 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about property risk data with Bob Frady from Hazard Hub. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We're interviewing minds behind the technological innovations and doing deep dives into specific technologies that we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Always a good day to talk about insurance tech, in particular when it's summertime. I've got a guest from one of the most beautiful places in the country, Orange County, California. Bob Frady, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Living the COVID dream. Right? I mean, all right, so some beaches are open and others are not, or are they all closed I, right now? I don't I have I have zero idea. Oh. I, I'm a hermit in my own home. <laughs> I, have a, I have a pool and a yard and a and a new grill. So leave me alone. Nice. Tell me when it's okay to go outside. I literally just moved into a new house a year ago, and it has a backyard pool, cabana, grill. Like it has a whole combo thing. I have I have a basketball court in the backyard, like a little half court in the backyard, and then it's, and it's got a little playground too because I have a ten year old who was nine at the time, and she's still you know young enough to enjoy that kind of thing. And I was like, thank the Lord, I've got something to do on my property. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's it's like so thankful. We have we have you know there's so many people around the world that have been locked in condos and apartments that literally can't can't go anywhere and that's that's tough, man. So you got you got your little Orange County background uh, backyard uh, dreamscape, huh? Yep. Yep. You know, it, it's I I really feel for people who have been just tremendously impacted by this and we're really lucky. Yeah. You know, the creating data takes focus. And when you can't go anywhere, it just means you have more focus. Yeah, there's a, there's been a lot of really productive work going on in the last four yeah. months because people are like, I mean, the amount this is that's what's so fascinating. And by the way, of course, we have the illustrious, the most interesting man in insurance, Rob Galbraith, a good buddy of mine, another Texagander. That's right, Texas and Michigan comboed into one. He's in Texas. I'm in Michigan right now. I'll be back in Texas in a few weeks because school is quote unquote starting. We'll, we'll see because the Texas Education Association keeps changing the rules every three days so we'll see what what it looks like august 13th but rob uh, good to see you good to see you james you know rob what's been interesting and you track startups and of course you know bob you're you're a, you're a tech company i'm a tech company in insurance the what happens and we're all old enough to have been through a few economic downturns what happens during these and every single time people get laid off and they start idea generating on what they want to do and they start new companies and so right now we're already hearing of people splitting off and starting new ventures and, you know, get, you know, get, getting started on new ideas. They have a lot of time to themselves. So they, they decide to whiteboard the idea and start writing code and connect with some buddies. It's, it's usually pretty interesting two years after one of these things, because you have uh, a lot of companies that come out of the other side. Right. So Bob, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, I'm, Bob, I'm sure that's what you were referring to. Yeah. It's well, for us, we were a little bit further down the road, but even increasing the, the frequency with which we're able to look at our own stuff. Yeah. You know, sometimes you get you sometimes you get to creating things and you sort of like, okay, I've done that. I'm gonna push it over here. I said, like, well now I have all this time. Let's go back and make it better and better. And then you're right, on the carrier side, you see some people who are like, finally I'm gonna get out of here and do my own thing, which is great. 
but then other people who are who are still there are like it's time to go through the junk drawer of all the things i've always wanted to do but i've been tied up in meetings for such a long time and you know my budgets are going to get cut at some point so i need to be more effective and and so it, it it's it's in some ways it's a threat but in other ways, it's a tremendous opportunity to do things better. Yeah, I think well, there's a whole lot you could you could say wrapped around that. Like we had this period of time in April and May where it was like Zoomapalooza and everybody's just like in video meetings all day because they're freaking out because they can't see people. And they think that the answer is to manage by Zoom. And it's it's like MBZ is going to be a phrase or like, manage by Zoom by just like Zooming the hell out of our employees and I think people have backed off a little bit. I've been in fewer Zoom meetings on a weekly basis. I've seen the webinar count come down. People kind of freaked out and started doing a ton of webinars. Now they've cooled down on the webinars. And it's like they're starting to re- re- settle back. I even had a couple of people in, uh, recently, Rob, that uh, said, hey, look, instead of Zoom, can we just do a phone call? And I'm like, <laughs> old school. I, no, seriously. And I was like, you know what? I'm not so- dressed for it. <laughs> Sounds great. You know, I've been dressing up every day, you know, and I'm an old, I'm an old ROTC cadet from A&M, you know, I, I, I liked, I liked wearing a uniform. So this is my Friday uniform. I really like my Hawaii shirt Fridays, but you know, I was into that. Rob, have you seen I've, that? Have you seen that Rob where people are like, can we just talk on the phone and not see each other on video? Yeah, I know you're, you're, you're spot on James. It's kind of funny because it depends on the group. It depends on the time of day. Are we talking about an early morning meeting, right? Or mid afternoon. And, and you can tell like everyone's trying to figure out the protocol, right? And there's kind of like uh, one or two people turn their camera on, but if we don't get a critical mass and those people turn it back off, right? But then if you get maybe at least half the attendees turn their camera on, then everyone else is kind of guilt shamed into turning those on. So yeah, very interesting time on the, the Zoom meeting camera etiquette uh, scale here. Yeah, they got to figure it out, man. They got to figure there's well, there's a lot of etiquette about working from home. The sheer number of memes that came out in the early COVID days where people <laughs> forgot their camera was on. And then they like, you know, there was one there was one of like a lady like like in the middle of a Zoom call started going to the bathroom like on the video camera. And I was oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I got, I got three kids. I've had them all. Oh, my, oh my gosh. Yeah. And the, you know, the number of things kids have done. It's been amusing. So let's let's talk about well, <laughs> Rob. I was just going to say I, one thing I've. I've noticed uh, on a call this week, which uh, I hadn't seen before. So, right. My background is just kind of my office, my bookshelf, right. All that. And it's, it's real. Like that's yeah. actually, I haven't dressed up. Right. But obviously people have the virtual backgrounds, but I, I've seen people now toggling their virtual background based on what they're saying, like to like be the theme of what they're talking yeah. about. Right. So <laughs> yeah. One that was like a bank lobby. And then he switched to like a nightclub because he's now switching to talking about something with the music industry. And I was like, okay, wow, this is uh, now we're, we're, we're going a little too far here. Yeah. So I've been, I, I, <laughs> guitar, guitar has been my Corona project. And I, I went from never playing guitar and I, I've played piano my whole life and I've been singing in choirs my whole life, but I never play guitar and I love guitar and, and I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. And so I've been working on different backgrounds that represent my love for Led Zeppelin when I want to get the let out. And that's been fun. I was in a meeting the other day and I had my Aggie shirt on, my Texas A&M shirt on. And I I had to use the bathroom like really bad, you know, like it was like an emergency. And I was like, I got to go, but everybody has their video on. And, and they said like video management participation is mandatory. I'm not going to explain what meeting this was, but, but I was like, what can I do? And so I literally screen capped my video. So imagine I had a maroon shirt on right now and I had my Minecraft background on at the time because I love Minecraft. So I had this on with my maroon Aggie shirt. And so I screen capped it, made it my live background. And then I did this and I stepped out. <laughs> And so my virtual background was me smiling 
at the deal. <laughs> That's so focused. He's staring. <laughs> like for those of you who can't who can't understand what I'm doing, I literally screen capped myself and made it my virtual background and was smiling. So it, it did provide the bathroom break I needed and I got back and then turned live video on and no one noticed the thing. So it was awesome. <laughs> you just you just need the animated GIF version of that, James, yes. where you're kind of nodding but have a concerned look on your face oh, yeah. to cover just, all your bases. Yeah. I, and I tried to do that. But like I was doing it live and I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to do the video editing like while I was on video. And so look, it was a bathroom emergency. It was the most I could do. Just a reminder for all of you out there in listener land that um you can subscribe to our weekly email that has the the show notes and the link to the email and the audio link and anything that we talk about all by texting geek out to six six eight six six. That's geek out, G-E-E-K, geek out to 66866. Make sure you never, ever miss an episode. We have a lot of really good folks on here, like Bob Frady. And Bob, let's come back to you. A uh, bachelor's in applied economics from Cornell. Yep. Do you remember? Do you Did you watch The Office? I did not watch The Office, although there was a oh, guy. I do know there was a guy. Andy. Andy. Who used to talk about he, the fact he went to Cornell all the time. It's all he talked about. He goes, did you know I went to Cornell? Did, by the way, do you remember <laughs> when, when I was at Cornell? And look, when I was at Cornell, we had this. He was actually in an acapella group at Cornell. It was Andy from The Office. <laughs> I've watched every episode of The Office five times each. My daughter, my 13-year-old, is like super duper into it. I'd already seen every episode twice. She's watched all of them at least five times. I've watched a bunch with her because they're so funny. And the, and Andy is obsessed with being Cornell. My own personal Cornell connection is that was it was my very first video conference. I'm 41, so... When I was in high school in the early 90s, we got on right after we got a high-speed internet connection, like the year we got it, there was a professor at Cornell that did video conferencing technology, and we got on my very first black and white, five frame a second video conference with a, with a computer science professor at Cornell. And I got, believe it or not, I was in the newspaper, Baton Rouge, Louisiana newspaper for having a video conference in 1994. Did I, did I tell you that I went to Cornell? Did, yeah. Did you mention that? Were you in an acapella group? <laughs> A uh, guy named Andy. Cornell is a great school. You studied economics, which I think is a really great foundational field of study for business and pretty much life in general, because you have to understand so much in economics. What led you from an econ degree to um, CEO and founder of an insure tech? After I graduated, I went to work for a company in New York called National Decision Systems. And what we did was geospatial technology before there was a name for geospatial technology. So we did a lot of things like site selection for retailers. You know, what's the traffic inflows and outflows? What's the crime like? Things like that. So I've always been a spatial type of guy. I ended up running over the course of 10 years, the insurance and investments practice for NDS. NDS got bought by Equifax, eventually got bought by Claritas and big, big, long chain of purchases. So my career has always been, how do I take data and make sense of it geospatially rather than just either point by point or you know, in general? And so I ended up doing a bunch of stuff in the geospatial area, worked for CoreLogic for a little while. My co-founder needed some help with some major accounts, so he called me in to help him out. And that's where we met our third co-founder, which is uh, Dr. Brady Faust. And then left that, did a bunch of marketing stuff and saw that there was a lot of new data and there wasn't a lot of new effort around that data to make it actionable and workable. And I thought, well, nobody else is going to do this. You know, it's a pain in the neck business. It's a humongously long sales cycle. It's really 
detail work, we might as well do it. So we, we built an MVP. We got a couple of people to raise their hand and off we went. And that was probably five years ago we had that meeting and we'll have our fifth birthday sometime next year. Did y'all, and, just, work, did y'all just work on it after hours or was this, was this something yeah. that you did on your own time and then you brought it together and bootstrapped it? I mean, what was the origin? Well, what happened is when I was at another company, my former mother-in-law's house flooded and I looked up all the data because I knew how to, and she wasn't in a flood zone, but she was right next to one. And I said, did anybody ever tell you that you were right next to a flood zone? And she said, nope. Hmm. And the river did its thing, wiped out her basement. She wasn't insured for it. And I was like, man, that would have been good to, to, to tell people. And I knew there was a huge imbalance between what consumers knew and what insurers knew. So I figured that's a fun problem to solve. And then just decided to say, okay, it was one of those itches I couldn't quite scratch. And finally I had a designer. I'm like, okay, let's design something. You know, let's just put it down on, on, on paper. So I spent a few dollars to do a design and, and that became the MVP. And the next thing you know, here we go. It's it, it, it was and, and yes, we did work in other jobs, but it was always a part-time thing. And then I got fired from my last job, and nice. I, oh, I have some time now. So I was the first employee. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I like people who get fired because it means they got a little fire in their belly. And and if you can harness that properly, you can get a lot of productivity. Because a lot of times people get fired because they want to do things better. They don't want to keep the status quo. Did you have fire and, in your belly from that? I had fire in my belly from a lot of things, but that was one of them. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's interesting to separate out the business from the business. You know, sometimes life just tells you things. And life was telling me, you need to start your own business. You need to stop working for somebody else and go start your own business. And this was an opportune time. I'd already been working on it. I was hoping to last another year at the job to, you know, to make sure that everything transitioned nicely. But I was going to do it anyway. And so I got fired and became the CEO, employee number one. Okay, so d- just just so we can overview this before before we hand it off to Rob. What does your product? What does it do? I mean, what what is the core service offering for Hazard Hub? And then what's uh, tell me about free home risk as well. Sure. Basically, we tell you all the bad stuff that can happen to a property: uh, wind, hail, tornado, lightning. Earthquake, underground storage tanks, uh, commercial, personal, doesn't make a difference to us. We like to think of the insurance world as three different games. There's the pregame, which is I walk up to a, a building, what can you tell me about it? Not just about the characteristics of that building, but also what are the perils that might impact this building? The second's the in game. There's something going on. There's a fire, there's a flood, something's going on. And then there's the post game, which is the claims area. Something's happened. We live in the pregame. So give me an address and I will tell you 800 pieces of data about that address to give you a better opportunity to underwrite that and price that appropriately. Or if you're on the agent side to explain to your customer, here's the perils that are probably going to attack your property. Why don't you take some steps to make sure that you're protected against those as much as you can? And that's what we do in a, in a very big nutshell. And this is because and free home risk is for consumers. Type in your address and get a scorecard. It's it's we we always believe in giving this data to consumers or insureds, if you will. Just type in the address, get a report card, see what we have to say about your property. And a lot of times, interestingly, it's become not necessarily a lead gen tool for us, but a proof tool for us. So people will say, Well, what do you say about this property? And we'll go run it. And if they like it, then they talk to us. And if they don't, then they don't. That's okay. 
Yeah, and I, I ran my house on free home risk just as a precursor on this. Check it out. It's really fascinating what you can find out. You know, it's just 34 risk checks completed, 20 trigger for your address. They were all green. And I look, I'm, great. I'm a super geek. So I, I drone mapped my property before I bought it. I have, yeah. I have, I have seven drones. So like I, I went and mapped everything and I did all the add-ins and drone deploy where I pulled a lot of data. Then I went into the GIS database because I was on city council. So I knew, you know, I, I had more data than your average bear. I, I didn't use the city's GIS database, but I, I knew where to find the public GIS database that was available mm-hmm. to citizens. And I looked for, you know, flood map zones and you know, hundred year flood zones, which honestly don't mean much in South Texas anymore after we had 300 year floods, in three years. <laughs> but you, you still, you, it's still good to know if you're in one. And, and I, I love this because there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who really want access to this data, but they can't, they don't have the, the money or the time to build an application and build a data set like you do. That's what I found so interesting. Well, well, thanks. It's, you know, we, we like to think that all data is like a wild horse. You got to learn how to break it before you can ride it. And we're experts at breaking data, whether it's federal or state or local or data that we create, that's what we do. So it is really difficult. It's just, you know, we don't think about it as a special skill because we do it every day. But when you talk to people, it's really a special skill because like, even if you went to the the city or the or the county GIS tool. Sometimes it's just impossible to find what you're looking for. Like I'm I'm reviewing fire stations right now, and you'll go to a county website, and it's like type in your address and find the nearest fire station. It's like just tell me where it is. It's like just it. it so they're, they're presenting it logically to themselves. We have to present it logically to a lot of people. So it 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 yeah, that's the thing we do. We wrangle that data. Rob, so it's great to have you on, Bob. So Bob and I go. Go way back in InsureTech time, I guess. Before the book. <laughs> before the book. Before the book. I was kicking the tires in a previous life on Hazard Hub and as a consumer of exactly the type of information that, that Hazard Hub sells. So, Bob, knowing a little bit, right, uh, from uh, a carrier perspective, as somebody that was a consumer of the type of information that you're selling and, and you know, having bought from some of your competitors and being really intrigued by your business model, there's a couple things. Number one, you guys truly are data geeks, right? And, and I remember you telling me, I kept saying, well, how do you deliver the data? And you say, you know, API. And I was like, <laughs> what? Right? What is this? Like, we, the- we got our stuff on CD-ROM and we literally did. We got it on CD-ROM <laughs> yeah, at the time. Yeah. AP what? Right? Is it, that a special not that disc? that long ago. Is that okay, AP- hold on a second. Let me tell you this story. I went to this place where I first met Rob and I said, you know, we deliver stuff by API so you don't have to get the file and then try to update it and then try to load it to your system. And then it's six months later, you know, and you're, and you're finally using the data you bought six months ago. And, and Rob's eyes got really big and the GIS guy with him, his eyes kind of rolled back in his head and he's like, Oh shoot, I'm going to be out of a job. And uh, so that was an interesting dichotomy of the being a little bit too soon to the party, but yeah, we are super geeks when it comes to that stuff. And you guys have gone beyond a lot of the standard, right? So you've got information right on, on wildfires and sinkholes and all the stuff that people care about, but you've got proprietary data as well, like on your fire hydrants and, and other stuff. So you've got more accurate data and more than practically any of the vendors out there. So maybe you could just kind of highlight, yes, what, what are some of those things that really set you apart from a lot of the other competitors in the space and quite frankly, competitors that have been there for a really long time and have not necessarily innovated the space over the last two, three decades. Well, I, I think there's a few things, you know, the, 
industry to a certain extent is satisfied with close enough. Like, ah, it's close enough. And then like we had a customer who did an analysis of us versus another provider who's three, the three letter acronym shall remain nameless is where's the nearest fire station. 30% of the time they didn't know. And we knew where everyone was. And it's like, how can you live with this as an insurer? And the answer is, well, because, you know, that's the way we've always done it. So the first thing that we look at is we always want to try to figure out how to do things better. So that's why we, that's why we build our own fire station database. We were joking around with the people from AAIS about using their um, fire protection algorithm. And they said, well, really, you have to have the actual hydrant locations to be within the letter of the law. And I'm like, oh, so then we started building a hydrant database of 3 million records. So, and now it's 11 million records. So we always want to do better and better and better. And then we went to a customer and they said, listen, these wind hail tornado models, they're great, but they're all like, you know, 50 kilometer cells that are gigantic. I want to know the risk of lightning hitting this property. So we went back to work and we figured out all the math and we're like, okay, now we have the probability of wind, hail, tornado, and lightning at the property level on a one-year horizon. And people talk about, and it's funny, you talk about flood. It's like, that's a one, it's a one in a hundred chance. It's a 1% annual chance of flood. In Texas, in some of the areas where you are, the chance of lightning is over 9% per year. And everyone's like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? But, you know, this is the kind of stuff we're always, we're always trying to improve because we don't have the luxury of being a billion dollar company. We have to be better than everybody else, and that's that's how we focus. Yeah, it's it's be interesting. Better. It's interesting. <laughs> I am geeking out pretty hard right now. We've had some on both my this podcast and my construction podcast micro forecasting technologies that have come on that really get down to like the you know this specific property weather forecasting. And yep. what, what I like that you're doing is you're you're taking a different angle on it, right? You're looking at the the entire historical prevalence, because the reality is that weather is an interaction of the atmosphere and the the geography, right? The, the, the land itself. And you have to acknowledge, and look, as a pilot, that's certainly something I've learned uh, the hard way, right? Is, yep. you, you know, weather is a dynamic situation and, and, and there are certain properties that are much more susceptible to wind and to water and, and it changes over time as their surroundings change. So if you build a large building near a property, it's going to change the dynamics of wind around that property and of flooding because they're going to have, yeah, if you don't have a zero rise ordinance, even if you do have a zero rise ordinance, a commercial development can change the absorption rate of water into ground on nearby properties, which can increase runoff onto your own. And so like mm-hmm. these, these things, it, it is such a difficult challenge. And it, it makes you wonder, like, I was giving my company a, a 30 minute TED talk this week. I do like these monthly TED talks with my company on just the history of insurance. And we ran all the way back to Babylonian insurance. And, you know, underwriting started 4,000 BC. The Babylonians used to do bank loans that were forgivable if the cargo got seized in route. So it was the very, very first insurance contracts was the ancient Babylonians. And it's because they sat between the two major trading bodies of water. And and you wonder how they underwrote all this risk without access to any data. And like we have, we have almost like infinity data now right, c- compared to the past. By the way, listening to y'all talk about like the past made me remember this song that I used to listen to in the nineties. Since you're talking about like CD ROMs, I just want to, I just want to point this out. Let me see if I can do my hairs go back way back, back into time. <laughs> Y'all remember this song? Sorry. Probably, if I don't remember this song. <laughs> that was black street. Some of my favorite bands in the nineties. And y'all are like talking about grind on the CD ROMs and the V pre API. I mean, 
Oh yeah, Rob. Is it not look being being slightly older than your average, you know, twenty something that's starting an insure tech? You have this benefit of a couple decades of insight here. Is it not wild to you that we essentially have like mathematically speaking infinity data now? It's crazy, and yeah. So I, I talk to people about. I'm, I'm curious to get Bob's thoughts too, right? One of the things I talk about at the end of insurance as we know it is you've got sensors, right? You've got cloud, you've got artificial intelligence and advanced algorithms. You've got this localized knowledge in a way that you've never known before, right? And then you've got efficiencies and that might be back office robotic process automation, right? Workflow automation, things like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that we couldn't do as the insurance industry before. And exactly what Bob's saying, it's like, you know, we kind of do things in our industry because of the way we've always done it. And we don't necessarily appreciate all the emerging technology that's come our way to say, Hey, all those things that you learned in your first five years as an insurance professional that, Hey, the reason we do it this way is because we can't do this, this, and this, well, that can't do this, this, and this, those are all melting away. And so it, you know, I think we kind of internalize all of that. And then we're like, oh, we can't do those things. And then we go for the next 25 years as an insurance professional telling everyone why we can't do those things. And so it takes folks like Bob, right, coming on the scene to say like, I know you've been using this for a long time, right? I know you've been using your three-letter acronym, you know, rating score or whatever, right? But so, yeah, Bob, I'm kind of curious to your thought too. And, and, and maybe you can share about how does that conversation go with carriers and how do you, I know, right, it, it, it's not a one and done sales, as you mentioned. Yeah, it, it's the long walk through the desert with the very small bottle of water is, is how we like to tell people. And, you know, I've asked, I've answered questions as basic as, you know, what's an API? In which case, I know that we're not going to do business with them, but that's okay. You know, there's a couple of factors. It's really three as, as I see it. The first is that the insurance business has been successful for a long time without data. Back to the days of the ancient Babylonians, because frankly, the law of large numbers is a fantastic law to have on your side. It's like you can be wrong about an entire state and the other 30 states are doing great. You know, that's fine. That's, so that's number one. It's worked for a long time the way it's worked. So I don't, I I never get upset when people do things the same way because that way has worked. But I think the second thing is, you know, it's funny you showed that Led Zeppelin, the dirigible blowing up. I wonder if that was most of the uh, legacy carriers on the day that Lemonade went public. Oh, oh, I got calls from, I got calls. Let's just, I'm not going to say who or what kind of companies, but I got phone calls going, how on earth did they get that valuation? (laughs) I mean, they are. They are ticked off. Oh, yeah. In, yeah. In, in particular, if they're a publicly held insurance company, they are r- raging mad right now and and looking because they're, of course, peeling through some very red negative financials going, what are we doing that we can't get this valuation? And the stock is not tanked post IPO. And that's that's it's interesting because, you know, the other SoftBank IPOs or attempted IPOs have not gone well. But right. this one has gone well, despite, despite you know, if, if this were not a technology-centric IPO, it, it would not have gone well, it, you know, from just an insurance speak. And so right. you look at it today, and it's still kind of hanging in there, man. It's, it's wild. It's wild with the, what's going on with the market. Yeah. I, th- I think that Lemonade and Hippo do two things really well. They do the UI and UX really well. They eliminate a lot of the friction in the process. And the second is that they manipulate data very well. They're very comfortable with a lot of data. Yeah. And those two things are the real threats to the incumbents. Yeah. It's not becoming, a, it's not the statutory, it's not the 
regulatory. It's not the capital requirements. All of those can be overcome. It's how do you fundamentally change the interaction that people have? Like I lived in my house for 10 years. I've never seen an insurance agent knock on my door. I never. So why should, I don't know any people, any people who have insurance friends who've tried to recruit me. So I'm going to the internet and that's happening more and more and more. Yeah. Not that the agents won't be important, but that's the thing that these insurtechs have done really well that should scare the pants off of the legacy carriers because they're so locked into their existing systems. So the first is, is that's one. The second is the, I forgot what the first one was. And the third thing is Amazon. Everyone's concerned about Amazon entering the insurance business or Google. Guess what? They're already here, but they're not here as a carrier. They're here as a technology provider that makes all these insure techs possible. Like we live on the Amazon stack and you could use Azure or you could use Google Cloud if you wanted to. But back in the day, you had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just on building your technology infrastructure. And now I can spend a couple hundred bucks, get it right, and then multiply it by 10,000. And now I have essentially a supercomputer of capability. And and that is a fundamental change in the business. Yeah. So- Amazon's already in our industry. They're just not where you think they are. They're on the back end providing all this great technology to allow companies like ours to be small, but really, really efficient. Rob? No, I'm so glad you brought that up, Bob, because I was having a conversation with someone that is a broker and he works with a lot of kind of small to mid-sized carriers and agencies and, and others and was asking me, hey, Rob, you know, tough market environment, all that. Do you see a lot of consolidation? Do you think there's any hope for the small and mid-sized guys? I said, yeah, we'll definitely see some of that. That's what you see in every recession. I said, but honestly, the small and mid-sized guys have access to enterprise software now that they would have never been able to afford and never had before because of cloud computing, right? And software as a service models. And so exactly to your point, like, these are the enabling technologies that are allowing companies like Hazard Hub and others to, to exactly like you said, tinker, right? Get it right and then scale quickly. And, and I, I do think that's a very underappreciated dynamic. When we talk about emerging technology, a lot of it's kind of some of the stuff we've already talked about, but that enabling, right, that's necessarily behind the scenes isn't necessarily consumer facing. I, I think that's a great point. Bob, one thing I want to talk to you about and, and, and ask you, you guys partner with a lot of different companies. I think you've been, you're all over the map, right? In terms of some of the names that you partner with. And I I, yeah. I see like you're constantly announcing new relationships with folks like Cape Analytics and others. So, you know, maybe you can help break us down. I'm not expecting to name every single company you partner with, but, you know, how do you think about your partnerships? What is your approach? I'm just kind of curious, kind of your your mindset, because you've done a great job of really integrating sure. with the broader tech ecosystem. Well, there's there's a few things. When you're a small company and you decide to take on $2 billion companies, you can't necessarily take them on where they're strong. You have to take them on where they're weak. And the weakness in both of our primary competitors is partnerships. Ask any insure tech who has to deal with one of the incumbents, and they're like, it's a tremendous pain in the neck. But we always looked at it like, I can't afford to hire any salespeople. The ramp is too long. So John and I do the selling for the company, and we're pretty good at it. But I'd rather have 10% of you know 500 salespeople than to have you know 500% of one salesperson. So we built the, the our underlying idea is that we want the technology to do the work. And that applies to not only how we run businesses direct, our relationships directly with carriers, but also how we do it with partners. So the API is plug and play. It's like, here's the API. You can sign up in a minute. 
and off you go and you're live, you're in the system. So for us to onboard a partner takes about 10 minutes. And, and that's something that has, hadn't been in the industry before. So we understand that a lot of times as a carrier, you don't want to knit together 25 different pieces of information to come up with an answer. You want somebody to do it for you. You want the component stereo. I mean, you want the combined stereo versus the component. And so we partner with these companies who are already providing another answer. And our data helps to make their answer more complete. So we plug into Cape, we plug into Better View, we plug into Spatial Key. We just had our first Majesco customer the other day. We plug into Water Street. We plug into 65 different partners altogether. And it's because we know that people aren't looking to us just as the absolute end answer, that they have more that they want to do. And so we're happy to partner. You know, we don't, we don't have the, the, the extreme expense of a big sales force. We let the partners do that for us. Now, sometimes the carrier says, I want to deal with you directly. I don't want to go through a partner because I want to control the relationship. And we're allergic to, to not taking a check. So if somebody wants to go come with us directly, well, fine. You know, we're even partnered, we're partnered with the Veris company because the carrier wanted to deal with us directly and they used the Veris company. And it's like, I didn't want to partner with them, but the client wanted us to. So now we're partnering with them. Yeah. And just, just keeps growing. It's interesting. You know, I, I could definitely see some carriers and, and well, not just carriers, but just some potential buyers for you feeling very threatened by you because yeah. they, they, they view this as special secret sauce. And if they use you and everybody else uses you and you'll have access to the same data, then there's not much special left about them. Right. Like that, like, yeah, that there's at some point you have to ask yourself, what is a company? You know what I mean? Like is a company, yeah. is a, is a company just a, an aggregator of API data calls. Like I know I'm getting a little existential here, but like, you know, you, you what is a carrier if they reinsure a lot of their risk and then they aggregate data through API calls from a bunch of data collectors, then what are they other than a, yeah. other than a marketing brand, right? It's a brand, you, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing is the other thing that the lemonades and the hippos of the world represent is the branding aspect yeah. of things. You know, that, that's a brands are real. Brands count for a lot. And I come, I've done a lot of direct and target type marketing in the past. And the more I do that, the more I believe in the power of the brand. So the power of the Hazard Hub brand is we try to tell you all the bad stuff that can happen. That's our, that's our brand focus. And we try to do it better than anybody else. That's it. Everything else drives from that. But that, you know, you're right. It could, it could become commoditized special sauce, if you will. But we also look at it like it's the application of the data that really matters. Because we not only give you the score of something, we give you all the inputs that we use to create that score. So you can customize your own scores if you want to. You can really fine tune that data. And what we see is that people who spend the time to fine tune the data jump ahead of people because they're smarter about using the same data than other people are. And, and because we make our pricing model, basically once you buy three data elements, you get them all. It, it gives people a real playground, playground for opportunity to uh, invent things. Like we have a client who came to us today and he said, you know, I, I don't want to give away any special sauce, but he says, if you look at the density of the hydrant network and the fire station location, you come up with a pretty good approximation of what the protection is for that location. And I'm like, we've been putting that data out for two years and it's just taken till now until somebody finally got it and go, oh, that's, that's a more interesting way to look at things. Yeah. And, and so we just sort of sit back and wait. We don't, we don't push people. We don't make them do a minimum. We don't get up in their shorts about having to give us their data. 
it's like it's like we're just like hey man here's the day it's it's tasty data Go yeah get it. it is well there's it's it's a fascinating time right now in insurance technology this week the only article we really have time to cover this week a rapid quoting insurance startup uh, out of columbus ohio we're not talking about nationwide this is another company out of Columbus, Ohio called Branch. This is, has raised $24 million this week, co-founder and CEO Steve Likas, who spent 18 years in the insurance industry, estimated the company could grow to 150 employees from currently 25 by middle of next year. says he already has 1,000 policyholders signed up, 600 in Ohio, and they have licenses to write in Arizona, Illinois, Missouri, Ohio, and Texas. So you know, keep an eye on this one. They're trying to be you know, another pure digital, rapid sign up, all digital, no broker, insure tech out of Columbus, Ohio, which is Insurance City USA. And if you watched one of my favorite books that became a movie all about virtual reality and the future of the world being all virtual reality, you guys know what movie I'm talking about? It just came out. Ready Player One. Ready Player One is the movie. It's about the future that's obsessed with the 1980s and in the future, the, the, the world's VR headquarters is headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, which I thought was fascinating. But this one is branch insurance. Uh, pay attention to them. They raised a bunch of money. Uh, the co-funding, the, the round, this, this is the deal, is that the, the old mainline insurance companies aren't going to get left out of this because they are the funders. New York-based Greycoft and HSCM Bermuda. This is the, the insurance investment arm of Hudson Structured Capital Management. So I mean, there's some, some old, old school money that's investing in this new tech. They're like, hey, look, we can't be left out of this and our companies aren't doing this fast enough. And so, But a lot of these companies are leveraging tech like yours. Just like ours. Exactly, exactly. And so we'll leave it at that. And it, it's it's real it's really exciting because now and, and you're like y'all hit it on the head and I'm gonna wrap with this. When I started JB Knowledge, I had to buy servers and I had to build a server farm and I had to we had to write every line of code. We couldn't reference third party object libraries, we couldn't go in and call APIs. We had to build all of our own data sets, we had to build all of our own data structures, we had to build our own database. I mean you literally write about 75% less code than you did 19 years ago when I started JB Knowledge. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and you don't have the cap, the upfront. Now, your overall hosting cost is the same as what I paid in, in inflation-adjusted dollars, except it's prorated over time and over usage. I had to get and buy all of it upfront. <laughs> and so it's, you know, the barrier to entry now is so much lower, and there's so much more capital available because interest rates suck. So money is looking for a home. And, and so there's just a lot of crazy stuff all happening at the same time. I love what I'm seeing. Go to freehomerisk.com and run a report on your own house. And when you're done with that, go to Hazard Hub. And if you're the type of company that could use this type of data and and really could leverage it into your product line, go check out that's hazardhub.com. And you can check out the tools they have there. You can look at the bio, executive bios. You can read through and, you know, the free home risk, that, that's a really cool example of how you can see see what kind of data they can produce. Obviously, free home risk is not through an API. It's just through a public website, but uh, you can experience what you can get through an API. Bob Frady, thank you for being on the show today. Any closing comments for our listeners? The, the one thing I will say is that I think it was uh, National Underwriter just published a list of the 10 fastest growing PNC carriers for homeowners insurance, three of the top seven Hazard Hub customers. Nice. So if you want to be where the growth kids are, come on over. 
That's great. That's awesome. And Bob, Rob Galbraith, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Appreciate you. Any closing comments? Absolutely. No, so thrilled to have Bob on. Like I said, uh, he's a, a grizzled veteran of InsureTech now. And I miss seeing you at conferences, buddy. I miss golfing with you for sure. So hopefully we can do that again sometime oh, in this yeah. decade. But uh, hopefully. thrilled to have you on. Gosh. It was a pleasure being on. Thank you both very much. That's awesome. So, and to you out there in listener land, again, appreciate it. Listen in next week. We have another great episode coming up. And as always, this is the InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge. It's all about technology. It's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham at jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.